I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. My guest this week is Stéphanie Lapierre, founder and CEO of Canadian tech company Tealbook, which offers an innovative B2B platform for procurement and supplier intelligence management that leverages machine learning and AI. Tealbook has experienced rapid growth and caught the attention of investors early on, in addition to having become a favorite among Fortune 500 companies. Stephanie has won several awards for her innovative approach, and she's received recognition as a successful female tech entrepreneur. In this conversation, she shares her vision for success, which she believes is centered on finding the right talent and the right champions to support different stages of her business growth and to offer mentorship for her own personal growth as an entrepreneur. Here is our conversation. So Stephanie, it's a pleasure meeting you. And thank you so much for speaking with me on The Brand is Female today. I'll start by asking you, growing up, and we're going to go back in time a little bit here, uh, what were you thinking you'd want to do as a career later in life? And, you know, was tech even one of the possibilities at that point? I, I grew up with very entrepreneurial women. My grandmother uh, took over a bottling and manufacturing um, Pepsi franchise in Quebec. And uh, my mother is an entrepreneur. My sister most of actually the, the women I grew up with uh, have their own business. So I, I always knew that this was sort of a way of life and part of my DNA. Um, but did I anticipate what kind of business? I don't think I did. I don't think I knew enough about technology at the time. And I also found a tailbook not from a technology problem, but from a business problem that could be mm -hmm. solved with technology. So I'm not a technical CEO. Uh, and I, I brought more the business side and then found um, the technology partners to, to be able to build the technology itself. So tell me a bit about what your journey was, you know, figuring out what you wanted to launch as a as a company and, and, and how you came to finding the, the right partners to make it happen. So I started so my first business, um, a real business, because I had sort of little businesses when I was younger, but my legit business was a consulting firm that I launched 14 years ago. I was based in Boston, and I saw an opportunity to help organization um, identify innovation. And so, and that comes in all kinds of forms, but it's typically solving a business challenge across, it could be R&D, manufacturing, commercial, and uh, a lot of the innovation comes from companies, suppliers. And so uh, either we would find suppliers that solve similar challenges for other organizations, which is often the case, uh, or brought suppliers together to brainstorm on what type of innovation was required to help you know, solve this business challenge. And it's that process that start leading my customers to hire my consulting firm to bridge the gap between what was known to be procurement and sort of a bit of a bottleneck and the bureaucratic sort of process focus and what the business was trying to accomplish. And if we could bridge the gap, we could actually improve financial and operational efficiencies. Um, and so my firm started building strategic sourcing as a function before strategic sourcing was really formalized out of procurement. 
And then mm-hmm. it, if my business evolved where I had a lot of my contacts going to hyper growth companies, raising 30 to $100 million, starting to build the first infrastructure to launch a commercial asset, and all of the bells and whistles you know, required to launch a, a new product or, or build a company that was sustainable. And so my firm started building procurement functions that would bring more transparency to finance, more scale, uh, and really enabling. So as you know, our customers would go from 30 to 300 employees, we could allow employees to move faster with the right information, but still managing risk and managing transparency and efficiencies of spend. And it's within that experience that it put me in the forefront of what I believe was the biggest barrier for procurement to truly deliver the value was information. Uh, And the more systems and the more software was being introduced as a way to workflow data, the more we created disparity in silos across the organization. And it made it incredibly difficult to gather all this information about the suppliers that our customers were doing business with so that you'd have a unified, synchronized view of your entire supplier base. And as I continued in my journey, I realized that, you know, um, the, the world was changing to adopt cloud technology with the false assumption that cloud technology was going to digitize and fix the data problem. And I just mm. didn't buy into it. I didn't think that happened. We saw that with Salesforce. Like, Salesforce is a great tool, but it doesn't make the data amazing unless you put a lot of effort and services and compliance to processes. And so you've got uh, platforms like Zoom Info and other who are you know, proactively grabbing information, enhancing data at a bigger scale, at a better quality, so that you could enhance you know, the data in your Salesforce, producing better business development outcome. And that didn't exist in the buy side. Um, again, a lot of money, millions of dollars being spent on technologies that would workflow invoices and transaction, but no real you know, no real opportunity to solve the data problem. Uh, And if you could have visibility and better data quality, you could actually tap into one of the organization's biggest asset is its supplier base. And organizations Mm -hmm. were actually frankly paralyzed and we saw that a lot with COVID. Spend millions of dollars in technology and still not able to, you know, have the foresight or be able to respond to market changes fast enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's so true. were there any role models who inspired you along the way? And I, I obviously I'm interested in hearing about women specifically who potentially inspired you, but also understanding that you've uh, you've been working in sectors where women are typically underrepresented. So I, I'm also curious to know what that experience was like. And as I'm assuming you were often probably the only woman in the boardroom or, you know, the only woman uh, in the room even, uh, what was that like and what kept you motivated to to keep going even as you were facing potential gender bias? So I've never I've never seen myself as a woman founder. I'm a founder. Um, and I think growing in Quebec to growing up in Quebec, there's a lot of equality in gender. Uh, but the stats are real, right? Three percent of venture backed companies are, are, are women uh, founded or women led. So um, yeah. I think I was more the only woman when I was in supply chain and procurement, much more in boardroom by myself than and really in technology. And I was really fortunate to be supported early on by investors and board members that were women um, mm-hmm. and uh, surround myself with a group of women founders that we've been cheering each other on and being really a support system to one another. So 
from from that lens, I don't feel that I've been um, lacking presence. Like you know, we we were first investment in stand up ventures with Michelle McBain. Michelle's been sitting on our board from the very beginning. We've got BDC, the Women in Tech Fund, with Michelle Scarborough on our board. We've got fifty fifty women men uh, and even in our executive team now we're 50 50 and in our employees we're very close to 50 50 so i think diversity has fortunately uh been much easier for us to accomplish and that may be because I, i'm a woman founder and ceo and i think there's a huge advantage there too uh, because there's so much support and there's more awareness um i think i've been fortunate to attract you know investors and to be able to build a team that's fairly you know well balanced and a board that's well balanced Mm, that's great to hear. And how do we, and this is always a million dollar question, but how can we help bridge right that gender gap? You know, use a number, 3% of venture-backed companies led by women. I think there's more funds that are geared towards supporting female founders. Um, in Canada, there are more women uh, at the helm of companies in the tech industry uh, specifically and other industries where women are typically underrepresented. But how do we get there faster? How can we make that change happen? Well, you know, when we think about is there more women, like Stand Up Ventures is currently tracking 700 deals, right? So there's no lack mm -hmm. of company. This is just Stand Up. It's not all the other fun. And I remember when the Women in Tech Fund uh, with BDC launched, like the amount of out, like outreach that was happening was insane. So it's not a lack of deals. I think there's a lot of women founders that are out there building amazing companies. Um, I do think that there are some trends, and I'm totally generalizing here, but I do think that um, you know women tend to to try to take more of the risk on their own shoulders, trying to stretch kind of the company and mm -hmm. maybe have a bit of an imposter syndrome at times. Um, and you know, I I, um, I mentor a lot of women and I see a lot of the same patterns. And so I think the ability to coach and mentor women to think earlier on about raising capital, giving them the guidance of how to raise capital and position their company, have a clear thesis for raising money, having clear milestones of when and how to build trust and um, and relationship with inv the investor community. Because it, it comes often, like as an investor, you look at the risk profile, right? And so mm -hmm. if you're seeing a company who uh, has been bootstrapped, it's maybe a woman founder by herself, if she doesn't have co-founders, which was me, right? And right. you've got three kids and you've never built a tech company before because often it's sort of first time founders, right? Who have an idea and then they start building a company and they bootstrap it. And well, there's a lot of risk with that. Even if the idea mm -hmm. is amazing, there's a lot of risk because you know who knows what's gonna happen to me if I have one of my kids get sick or if I don't have the chops because this is really, really hard stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's de-risking if I'm seeing the profile of companies and the scale and the, the, the lower risk profile is probably more attractive to an investors because even if they're venture, they're still trying to mitigate their risk and hit a more home run where it requires maybe less hands-on uh, guidance. But I think if we can pick the companies, if we pay attention to the companies that are founded by women, often there's actually a maybe a better company because she's bootstrapped it, right? She's validated, mm -hmm. she's enabled exactly. to work closer with customers to generate some revenue. Um, and I think if you don't just give her capital, 
but you're surrounding her, right, with a network of mentors and other founders who have gone through the journey. If you're helping her, how she's building and constructing the team, how she's thinking about those leading indicators that are so important for each stage of the business. Um, I think then we have a chance to build more successful company, more successful founder, and that in itself will inspire more women to take on that path, will inspire more investors to also take a chance on those companies and also build a different type of ecosystem around her versus mm -hmm. your traditional sort of VC model that um, may be helpful, but not maybe as ha hands-on or um, mm. not as built around that ecosystem. And frankly, that's what we got from Stand Up Ventures is a lot of mentors and support within the community and always an opportunity to connect with people within the industry. Those are great points. And I like that you bring up that notion of risk. And I was I was trying to look up the stats while you were speaking. Um, but I, I think it's also turning that concept on, on the head, right? And making the investment company see the real facts. And the stats are pulled um, were around for every dollar of investment raised, female-run startups generate 78 cents in revenue, whereas male-run startups generate only 31 cents. So there, there is the proof is in the pudding, right? It's like women are able to deliver more value when investors do take that the risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think it's, be, you know, and again, super generalizing, but often those companies have just have more validation point by the time they raise capital just to get them their first check. And as you know, as I raise now, we're on our sort of third round. We just raised 18 million Canadian. It's not. It's not at all because I'm a woman founder, right? Like the, the right. now, it's all about the business, the growth metrics. So it's sort of that first pre-seed to seed stage, mm -hmm. when when the investors is taking a chance on the founder and the founding team, even more than the idea in itself. Like of course you have to have you know a, a solid investment thesis in a market that you're attaching yourself to that's growing. Um, but at that level, it's not the, the growth metrics. It's not even necessarily the customers. And so it's, it's de-risking that profile and ensuring, like even in my first round, the reason I was able to raise my first institutional round is because I went and got myself a CTO and a COO. Like right. investors were like Lone Ranger, like you think you're gonna do this by yourself? You need to find a team to raise capital. And I remember thinking, almost defeated, like, how can I hire people if I don't have the money to hire the people I need? And it's sort of the chicken or the egg. And this investor mm -hmm. said, if you don't find your team, you're not going to be able to attract capital. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice, plus guidance to the right connections, tools and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. And interesting to hear, obviously, that you know you you invest in, in in female startups by giving your time and mentoring other women. And I think a lot of conversations uh, focus too on you know the power of the good old boys club and men traditionally support each other and uh, are have access to those potential investors and and partners for that reason because they can make that phone call with you know the guys they went to school with. 
So how is that, um, and I think you've answered part of that question already, but how can we help women kind of uh, establish a network that's maybe similar or kind of challenge the rules for that, that old boys club that's still really powerful in the investment community? I mean, the, the founder has to go out of their way, right? Even for me to spend time with a founder, she has to come, go out of her way to connect with me, talk to me about her business, being very clear about what she needs from me, for me to take the time, right? And then, and then they have to continue that relationship because I don't have necessarily the time and the, the, to be able to build that cadence. But if they are driving mm -hmm. this, um, you know, I, I, and it's the same that I, I've done through my entire journey is reach out to people and I have cadence. As soon as I meet, I met a founder this morning of uh, Terminus and a really great engagement. There's nothing right now. Like we just, re I just really enjoyed hearing his story, learning, he, he enjoyed learning about Tailbook. We have common investors. And now I'm like, hey, can we meet once a quarter? We'll put it on our calendar. Even if it's a half an hour, feel free to push it off. But now we have Caden, so every quarter I can connect. And that's how I've built really, really strong relationship with all my, my, you know, the, my founder network. Um, any programs too really helps if you uh, are able to go into an accelerator or an incubator program. Uh, and there's other founders. That's a great way to connect with other founders and, and follow each other. Like I've been, um, I did 48 hours in the valley by the, the C100 it feels mm -hmm. like a million years ago now with Lindsay from Nudge and Marie from uh, Sampler. And the three of us have been following each other. We have very, we have the same investors, not all, but we have both Michelle McBain and Michelle Scarborough and, uh, and other uh, advisors. And we're all kind of in the same stage. We are following, I sort of call it, I'm, I'm catching up to them. Um, but we, um, you know, it's, it's again, continuing to foster those relationships and taking the time, like you need as a founder to, to take the time and, um, and commit to, to building that network. It doesn't just happen naturally. Right. Mm -hmm. What's one thing, so over the past 12 months, the pandemic that we've been living through, uh, what's one realization, could be personal, could be business, something that you know possibly shifted for you or something you understood that uh, wasn't clear pre-pandemic pre over a year ago? Like a, a big lesson for you over the past 12 months. Oh, um, so, I mean, from a business perspective, we've been very fortunate supply chain data right now is maybe the hottest thing in the market. Right. <laughs> supply chain <laughs> failed so badly um, within COVID. I think I, we mm -hmm. just got stats. It was $30, $30 trillion in, in um, cost to the world and, and with the supply chain disruption. So it created a lot of opportunities for us. Um, so from mm -hmm. a business perspective, you know, continuing, first of all, addressing what our customers were facing when COVID hit and there was so much disruption and we we authentically helped by giving them supplier lists um, across any needs that they had and we were able to support hundreds of companies and that was featured in Forbes and it created a lot of momentum and awareness for the problem that we're solving. It created a lot of momentum across investors reaching out and understanding what we're doing. And then the fact that we capitalize on that momentum and that timing to raise capital three quarters ahead of schedule, and frankly, it was needed. Now that we're, you know, we're getting to that next phase, I underestimated the um, infrastructure that was required to scale because we were doing things very much on the surface, not on the technology and the platform itself, but on the operation side. Um, I think just being opportunistic about 
the the situation and being able to capitalize on on that while you know navigating not being in the office and hiring we hired 38 people since january 7th and just shifting um i think how we operate and and um and knowing that you can grow your company you can hire you can raise capital all doing this from the comfort of your living room <laughs> frankly has been pretty eye-opening because i used to be yeah. i see myself running before covid you know in high heels at airports at you know conferences another investor cocktail another customer meeting i was never home and mm -hmm. uh and so from a personal perspective it was a, a silver lining for me because for five six years now i've been on planes every week and the opportunity to be home i've got three daughters and they're still fairly oh, wow. young, right? 13, 11, and seven. And I started to book five and a half years ago. So they were pretty little. And now being home with my family, spending time with my husband, having dinner together every, every night, um, that quality time at the stage of my kids' life and the stage of teal book in hyper growth mode like this, um, and still feel that I've, I found balance. I'm, I'm, I'm more rested, I'm, I'm more grounded, I'm fitter. And I really took the opportunity to, to connect with my family and get get in shape and, and get more balanced. So um, mm -hmm. I know, and I'm saying this delicately because COVID has been so impactful negatively in so many ways, but I've yeah. really tried to take the silver lining out of the situation and, and take the time. And I'm sure we're gonna look back and, and go like, that was actually a really special time where it feels like the world slowed down a little bit and hopefully mm -hmm. some, some good comes out of that that stays with us permanently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. What does leadership mean to you? So in my case, it, it means adapting to the stages of growth. Um, it's been really uh, enlightening to go from, you know, an early stage founder doing absolutely everything to each stage having to let go, um, find people that you trust right and and help them be successful by removing constraints out of their way so that they can achieve that type of success and it, now it's kind of gone to the next level like we just hired five new executives in one quarter is a lot of new executives mm -hmm. and then making sure that they're aligned and then giving them permission to resolve and operate the business without having me involved in all the decisions and they're all incredibly capable and all they needed to hear from me is that, right? Like you, you can come to me when you need guidance, when you have constraints, when you need resolution, otherwise you're good. Like you know what you're doing. And um, and I think it's that, it's that understanding where to let go at the appropriate time, be there to be a better leader for your team so that they know you have their back. They can trust your leadership, your vision uh, knowing that you also, um, yeah, just I think have confidence in their ability to success, succeed. If you hire them, typically it's because you should give them the trust that they can do the job. If not, don't hire them. And then you yeah, have to right. you have to live with that decision. So it's not it hasn't always been as smooth. I've I've made some wrong hires early or on, and that's incredibly difficult. And navigating those relationship and. Um, and creating those change was personally probably some of my biggest challenges. So I think hiring really well early on in the right roles um, is important. And then just building that confidence and, and making sure that they have what they need to be successful, whatever that is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
how do you typically deal with obstacles and challenges? And I'm sure you've had many in the in the process of building your your business and in your career overall. But what's your what's your way of dealing with uh, things that you know may feel uns insurmountable when they when you first encounter them, and then obviously getting over that that hill. Actually, it's interesting. I was thinking recently, I perform better when there's a challenge in some ways. Mm -hmm. I become more alert. I'm stepping on my, my, my tippy toes, right? I want to dive in and really understand the challenge itself. And, um, and I find through those challenges, there's a lot of learning. Um, and so, and then I think it's taking accountability, right? If I take accountability for what's happened and then I can learn something from it, like then it's a it's a bit of a gift as long as you don't do the same mistakes over and over again but i do think you taking head on understanding you know and taking a deep assessment like like t stepping outside of your own even self to look at why is this challenge happening and taking the accountability and and if you understand the um situational kind of like reason why this has happened? Like, is it something that's caused and that could be repeated or is this a moment in time that you have to address it? But addressing it head on, like a big value for us is transparency and authenticity. And so when something does happen in the company, we have to talk and we have to open up and we have to challenge each other. And our new executive team, it's a bit unsettling at the beginning because we are talking very openly. And if you're not used to that kind of environment, uh, you could th think like we're not aligned. Actually, we're really aligned, but sometimes we, we have healthy friction and it's through that healthy friction and through some of those challenges that I think we become stronger as a team. Mm -hmm. Are you someone who typically makes decision out of kind of intuition and, you know, your gut feeling, or do you tend to be completely, and I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there's typically a balance between the two, but um, are you somebody who really needs to have the full data model and it really relies on, you know, the, the rational evidence and the numbers? Uh, I, I'm much more on the intuitive side. <laughs> I've learned to trust my, my um, instincts through this. And I think at the beginning, there's, again, there's a bit of an imposter syndrome. And at the beginning, I was looking for it. The analogy I give is, you know, the movie social media where uh, Sean Parker comes and start like sort of save the day, like introduce. Um, the, the investors and then the company Facebook kind of gets the next level. And I was like, oh, where's that Sean Parker? Like, who, who's that person that's going to come and, and make this happen for me? And that person never came. <laughs> this person was me. And then you go like, okay, well, if, if these other founders have done it, like, you know, there's no reason why I can't do it. Like, there's nothing that special. But at the beginning, and I've, I've seen this, especially in women founders of like, you know, this advisor, this person, because they've done it before, they must know better than me. And there's a, a phase in my journey where I gave a lot of control to someone else because I thought they knew better because they had successfully mm -hmm. exited from a company. I felt that, well, they know the roadmap, they know the challenges, they're gonna foresee them and then realize that actually it was not the right role and then had to undo a lot. And that's really hard. Like the analogy mm -hmm. of like, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> Once it's out, it's out. <laughs> and what I've learned from that is one, really hire for the right roles and define what the roles are. Um, and then don't give too much, right? And, and learn to my instincts that actually I make good decisions and those decisions have led me to where I am. And so if, if I have the instinct that something is off or there's something that I feel should be addressed, 
I speak up a lot more than I used to because typically mm -hmm. I'm right. <laughs> so, and that's just because right. I now learn and, and start to gain confidence in myself. Now I do have people in my team now that are incredibly metrics driven. And so I do mm -hmm. like to see, and, and it un unveils like so many opportunities and areas where we should focus or not focus. So having, da making data driven decisions when it comes to where to invest and how much resources to deploy and you know, what's the, what's, yeah, what's the cost benefit of some of those investments or decisions? That's really important. I can't make those decisions just instinctively, um, but we still do. We, we've front loaded some investment right now on, a, on the hunch that, you know, that investment will propel us into that next phase and it's going to increase the hyper growth and uh, with no real validation yet. But as long as we're aware of that mm -hmm. and we can monitor it, so I think it's a balance. I think there's a there's a good there's a good amount of in, intuition, um, but it needs to be back up with data, especially if it's financially related decisions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good advice. Um, what are things that you wish, and I'm thinking of young women specifically who are considering a career in tech or you know looking at starting, uh, get, getting their own startups going, uh, what are lessons or things you wish they knew? I would I would look at a program like a TechStar or Community Tech or whatever other program is available because especially if you're on your own, especially if you have an idea and you don't have co-founders and if you don't, if, even if you have a tech background, you need to understand the business side. Uh, I wish I had done that. And I felt that there was not as many programs when I started Tailbook, like the, the ecosystem right now in technology is still fairly new in Toronto mm -hmm. and Canada. And so, but when I started, I felt like Mars was empty. Um, now there's a lot of programs, there's a lot of funds going to women founders. Um, and through those programs, like the investors, again, risk profiling, right? If you got into mm -hmm. one of those programs, if you um, have, uh, really differentiate yourself in that program, either won an award, like we won in 48 hours in the Valley, um, the biggest upside potential company. But they knew that there was something there that had high potential. So it helps build confidence. It helps for the investment community. It does uh, connect you. Some founders I know, that's how they met their co-founders or their CTO mm -hmm. or, you know, it's through some of those programs. So I would highly encourage not to go and build this on your own, like surround yourself um and just network like always reach out to to people that you think could add value and most people will say yes to take a zoom coffee or whatever like even mm -hmm. if it's 15 30 minutes we've all been there we've all uh appreciate and so grateful for the generosity of others in our in the space to give us their time and their mentorship and so i'd say that's a, a good way to learn a question I really like asking all my guests on the show, which is what do you wish women would do more of? And you can answer this if you'd like to talk about women and in tech specifically, it can be that or women overall, whatever, whatever you prefer. I think we, we tend to be humble and authentic, which is very admirable and it does help in some ways build trust, but it could also be the opposite. And so I think know where to balance humility and where to be able to leverage your accomplishment and be really proud of that. Um, I think that just, again, it's all about credibility, right? When you meet someone for the first time, what do you want them to think of you? And, and when they walk away from that relationship or that conversation, how are they perceiving you is, is really important. 
And I just, you know, I, I, I think of uh, one of my advisors who recently called me and said, you know, I'm helping a lot. I love what I'm doing for your team. And she's spending a lot of time right now with some of our leaders. Because I think I deserve more options, right? And, and this is a woman who was like at the head of one of the largest banks in the U.S. And I was like, this is why she accomplished what she's done is because she, she understands her value and is not afraid to ask for it. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, and she's right. And we are granting her more options and it had nothing to do with gender, but she is doing more than a lot of, you know, of, of other advisors, like opening doors, sitting on calls, coaching my team. And so we felt that the ask was absolutely justifiable, um, but it, I was not thinking about it. Right. So she raised it. And I think just being, you know, very clear about what you're looking for, what you want, what you need and not be not be. Um, too humble about it. Like if you're bringing value to the table, speak up. And if you are truly delivering value, there's no reason why someone would not want to, um, you know, to give you what you deserve. And if, if there's a situation, then they should walk you through why they don't think, right? And so you can have a conversation around that. But I do think women tend to maybe do more, right? And not ask mm -hmm. for enough. And, and I think there's a there's an opportunity for women to do more of that. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It was great meeting you and thank you for all the advice you've shared. I think that'll be really helpful to a lot of women entrepreneurs. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brandis Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.